Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie, and I'm back after a break of having guests. I have a very special guest, and her name is Dahlia Shaban. Hello, Dahlia. Hi. And it's really nice to have Dahlia back because her and I, we actually recorded a podcast together towards the end of last year, and the technology gods just like like gargled it up, and it, the thing didn't come out the right way. So... We just took a pause, and I found out I was pregnant, and then there was, I went to India, and Dahlia's been doing a lot of really cool stuff in the meantime, so we're coming back together today to see if we can make a podcast that everyone can actually listen to, and (laughs) um, the theme of what we're going to talk about today is like the magic of the kitchen, and Dahlia is an amazing chef and um, really passionate about food and nutrition. She lives in D.C. here with me, is a yoga teacher and um, speaker and a coach in nutrition. And her, her method, she calls it Live Deliciously. She offers creative structure for busy professionals to plan and prepare healthy, exciting plant-based meals and cultivate the foundation for a nourished, connected lifestyle. Before launching her integrative health practice, she began her career in Middle East conflict resolution, serving in the Iraq program of the U.S. Institute of Peace. She has taught nutrition and yoga in workplaces, schools, and wellness centers throughout the D.C. metro area and abroad in Cairo and Beirut. So I, that was from your bio here. So I, I, just, I love your background. I think you're so interesting how you bring oh, so many different you. parts of your, your background and your passions together. And I would love to first to start by asking you how you made that transition from piecework in the Middle East into focusing on yoga and nutrition and and the magic of the kitchen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was it's a funny path, um, but it's a I I kind of I was always very interested in um, in notions of uh, spirituality and um, justice and authentic ways of living that are connected. Um, you know, with the heart and cultivating peace um, here on earth and beyond. And that led me into pursuing peace-building work uh, in this macro scale. Um, When I was a freshman in college um, in upstate New York, Colgate University, it was September 11th. And... I was already very interested in pursuing religion as um, as my degree, and then September 11th happened, and it became a calling to really um, to really get out there and have my voice as part of the conversation um, within interfaith dialogue communities and creating. Um, creating bridges and understanding across different faith traditions. And I was really interested in interfaith dialogue and faith traditions as a way of um, creating a dialogue that was um, more grounded in, in this, the psychic context that most people have of understanding the world around them from a place of heart and love. Um, And ultimately, that led me into doing the Middle East work. You know, I I moved to D.C. a dozen years ago, which is so crazy to think about. And I 
um, was looking for work in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and then you realize that, you know, there isn't really shit to do about that conflict, right? And um, in terms of, like, geopolitical structures. So the Iraq war was hiring, and I um, landed a position with the U.S. Institute of Peace. And all the while, while I was working there, I really, um, you know, I started coming into struggles with my own health, um, my own digestive issues, um, but also... um, Grief. I, I lost a family member, and um, yoga really became an outlet for me to um, to tap into this place of healing from within. So I think the the shorter answer to your question is I wanted to move away from peace building in this macro context of you know relying on government institutions and all of that and working from within. And I wanted to uh, work with people to create, um, to create healing in their own lives in a sustainable, tangible way, in an embodied way, um, in an authentic way, based on my own personal experience. Um, so that was, that's what led me to ultimately taking the leap into doing... Um, peace building from within. And I've always been very fascinated with food and nourishment um, as the ultimate um, in self-care practices in part because that was my journey of um, establishing digestive rhythm and metabolic health and function and getting to this place of allowing my body to unlock its own healing capacity. So I, I really wanted to devote my path in that direction onwards. I love how you talk about food and cooking being what really unlocks your body's own healing power. I, I just spent time in India at an Ayurvedic clinic, and that's such a huge part of Ayurveda is assuming that you're healthy, assuming that everything should be in balance. And then when you're not, you just have to kind of get yourself back in there. So it's like it really does trust that like our hormones – and our, our, the way that our body can take care of itself, as long as we give it a structure in which to thrive, it, it can heal itself. Absolutely. And food and actually cooking itself is such a huge part of Ayurvedic practices for healing. So it's, it's often taught to someone who is like having some kind of nervous disorder to actually grind the spices and to smell the spices and to be in the kitchen. And there's something really grounding about being in the kitchen and that's the food that we eat and the nourishment we get, but actually like the nourishment that we get from being in, and around the food and the preparation of it. And I, I know that you spent a, a bit of time traveling in the Middle East and getting to be in the kitchens of, of a lot of different Arab households. And I'd love to hear a little bit more of, of what that experience was like for you and what you learned from those women. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is the whole energetic experience of connecting with food. Um, I know that so much of connecting back to, um, to food as a healing medium in its own right um, did, was inspired by Ayurveda when I, when I first um, got into yoga and all of that. Um, and then it, it led me back home. It led me back home to the ancestral culinary traditions in which I was raised. So I grew up in an Egyptian household in New Jersey, 
and for, you know, as, you know, from a very young age, I was always following the women in my family around their kitchens, you know, learning the secrets of their magic through like whispers and winks and like a little pinch of that and a little handful of that. And, you know, that, that passion ultimately led me into compulsively feeding people around me all the time. <laughs> the way you know, just like, it's like this cultural thing. Um, and ultimately, so this journey that I took uh, about two years ago now, it will be my Mediterranean sabbatical. Um, it was during a time in my own career where I was moving forward in many ways, but I, I needed that inspiration of, you know, going to this journey back home. So I started out in Cairo. And ultimately, from Cairo, I went to Beirut and Beirut to um, Israel and Palestine, Israel and Palestine, Turkey, and then Spain. And in each of these places, gosh, I was so lucky to have so many people open up their homes to me, open up their kitchens to me, both uh, professional kitchens and residential um, kitchens. Um, I spent a good deal of time in Beirut um, with an organization, Souk Atayeb, which literally translates to the good market. And gosh, they're this incredible organization. They're like the equivalent of Fresh Farm Markets in D.C. Um, they started out as this farmer's market collective and ultimately established themselves as a restaurant group and then established themselves as um, – like a, a bed and breakfast, like hotel um, group. And they do incredible work preserving, um, preserve, preserving Arab food traditions, especially in these post-conflict environments in which it is these traditions, it is you know, connecting to the, these points of ancestry that is a life force unto itself, especially when you know, the world of so many of these, um, these people who are living in conflict zones is being torn apart. Um, and even after the conflict is over, the residual um, refugee crises and all of that. So when I was in Beirut, I, you know, they were really starting to, you know, they already have a refugee crisis with uh, Palestinian populations, and that's when a lot of Syrian refugees were coming in. And, you know, Sukkotayeb was not only celebrating these um, culinary traditions from, um, from the Lebanese communities and the diversity of the Lebanese communities, because gosh, there's so many different uh, faith traditions and ethnicities and all of that within Lebanon, but also Palestinian communities and Syrian communities. Um, and food really was a way for people to find their sense of grounding. It was a way for people to tell their stories. So even if they were removed from their ancestral homelands, they were still able to keep the stories of their ancestors alive and recreate it at the dinner table. And yes, I was lucky to um, have access to kitchens, um, commercial, residential, you know, let into people's homes where 
they were letting me in on their process and telling me the stories of why they do things the way they do because this is you know, how their mother taught them or they learned this trick from you know, this one um, mountain village or whatever it is, right? Um, so in many ways, like even though two years later, I'm still integrating and I'm still um, allowing the lessons that I've learned from that part of the world to really transfer like through my fingertips into my dishes. And um, so much of Live Deliciously as a method is Mediterranean inspired because of my roots. But these Mediterranean traditions, um, this anti-inflammatory diet that uh, is a very proud tradition in this part of the world is a way for people to not only tell their stories but um, cultivate this nourished lifestyle that is connected with food and the ceremony of food, but also connected with this, um, this rhythm and these connections with community and with nature um, and all coming together at the dinner table. It's really incredible stuff thinking about these connections with food and spirituality and ancestral healing traditions as part of a lifestyle. Um, Absolutely. Wow. I remember following your journey via Instagram, and Dahlia has a great Instagram feed. I'm going to ask her to promote it at the end of this episode. <laughs> and it was, I felt the power of it. I was just like, I felt like I was in the kitchen with these women, and I loved seeing what you were eating. And um, and I, I, it's really, it feels very important when you share, like, how much of the, this organization that they're, like, valuing the diversity of the food and, like, it, like, when you were like, oh, the Syrians are coming in, I was imagining it from their perspective. I'd be like, oh, how great the Syrians are coming because they're going to bring more traditions that we're going to learn from and we're going to, you know, get their magic. And, and just want, thinking about that in the context of our own situation where there are so many people in our country that are afraid of people coming in and what's gonna, how that's going to hurt us. And I was just thinking about what our culture food-wise would be like in the United States if we didn't have diversity of food like who like all the people there I'm sure they love going to eat Mexican food or enjoy yeah. like eating sushi now and then and that that's the richness of of what we can offer each other is our diversity and our different stories and our backgrounds and and that the table is is like the ultimate place to share that and I'm yeah I'm, and in in the states we've become so um disconnected with the entire process of not only sourcing our food, but um, the preparation of it. So many, so many of us um, grow up or have grown up. A lot of um, clients and you know people in the community that I've had interaction with have grown up um, not really having access to fresh ingredients or understanding how to work with them. Um, you know, I think so much of it in the states. It it really kind of began with, um, you know, this, like, Depression era and World War II um, culture of needing to have food that was, you know, poor quality, like, m like nutrient void um, calories 
that could feed the masses and survive a nuclear holocaust and, you know, just in case we needed to go down into the bomb shelters, feed people in spam and Wonder Bread. And, you know, we've lost this connection with the earth in so many ways. And we're starting to see the results of that in our bodies and in the way that we think of nourishing ourselves. Um, I think, um, you know, there's, I keep going back to this point of, um, you know, old-timey ancestral food traditions and going back to this place of, you know, trusting in the entire process of food sourcing and preparation, but also the ceremony of breaking bread with one another. You know, the food that we enjoy in the company of loved ones, um, the nutrients from that food research shows us um, those nutrients are more bioavailable to us in the digestive process because our systems are in this place of ease to make sense of the food. Um, so I think that there's a lot to be said about, you know, all ancestral traditions. They're all good. You know, me personally, I'm, of course, inspired by my Mediterranean background. Um, but I think, you know, stateside or wherever, like, we all come from such a diversity of ancestral backgrounds, and it's all good. They're all good. You know, it's just connecting back to perhaps a way in which people um, were able to enjoy food and, you know, culinary activities and traditions as a community that is anchored from this place of gratitude um, and awe and um, appreciation. Um, I think that there's a lot to be said about this lack of ceremony that we have in the way that we um, are consuming food these days. We're so used to getting food out of boxes and, you know, we're so used to having this, the diet and fitness industry sell us all of these unsustainable fad diets that have been um, marketed in a way that trains us out of our own intuition around food as a healing medium in its own right. Um, and, you know, in many ways, like the paleo diet, for instance, always fascinates me because, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of the paleo diet is misguided in many ways, you know. Um, I think it's, there's, it's somewhat ludicrous to think that there was one archetypal diet that... Um, our prehistoric ancestors have enjoyed, um, you know, around the world, you know, when we know that the biodiversity of, you know, certain um, vegetation um, across the world um, is so varied. And, you know, we each, our, our DNA um, is constantly evolving and interacting based on our climates and based on the vegetation that is available to us, you know. So to think that there is one archetypal um, paleolithic diet that uh, meets the needs of all people is quite silly. That said, I think that there is 
um, something really powerful and real that the the paleo trend has really hit on for so many Americans. It it hits on this cultural nostalgia for a time in which we understood where our food was coming from and were invested in the process of not only um, knowing where the food is cut is coming from, but perhaps cutting out the middleman. Um, of all of you know these refined um, food products that we are receiving um, in most supermarkets and corner stores these days, so um, I think that what's happening in America is really so fascinating because we are swinging back around to understanding that you know we do need to understand where our food is coming from from you know a spiritual dimension from an ecological dimension but also you know what this does with our bodies right like the the lack of um biodiversity in our agricultural practices in the states is directly related with our gut health the lack of diversity and, you know, the microflora that we have in our soil is directly related to the, um, the deficiency of, um, of um, healthy bacteria that we have in our guts to establish um, functional health, to establish um, optimal metabolic function. So we're starting to see um, this connection between the earth and where our food is coming from and how our food is coming to us and then what this does to the climate of our bodies in cultivating health. Um, it's all very You're saying awesome. so many, yeah, you're saying so many important things. Yeah, I'm just going to, I just want to interject here and um, say that's really, it's so fascinating and it makes so much sense to me um, that we like, like what you said about in the beginning about the kind of bomb shelter diets it's like it's true it's like we looked at food as this, this commodity that we had to like guard and and like it's a fear-based diet that we've been eating and that's like not just in yeah. our food but it's also in what, what we consume the news that we watch that we're afraid and people are playing on that and preying on that and making a lot of money on that and we've in the as a result it's coming out in our body in terms of like things like inflammatory diseases and so I, I have a two-pronged question for you, and that is, one, will you explain how the Mediterranean diet is anti-inflammatory and how people can start to bring that into the, their lives? And then I just want to speak to all the people out there who are, like, wanting to check the boxes of, like, okay, so let me take these notes and then I'll make sure I'll add this in and kind of still looking at food as this is something that I just have to get right so I can be healthy because I think that's actually going – not against, but it's not, it's not the vein of, like, enjoyment and, and the magic that we've been talking about. So I, I'd like to hear how you approach looking at food as a way to promote good health without kind of making it this, like, nutrient thing that, that um, doesn't take into account all of the joy of, like, eating and cooking and preparation. So I'd love for you to, like, guide us through what it's like to look through a day of food in, in your kitchen and your lens. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so much of what makes the Mediterranean diet so healthy is all of the dark leafy greens and like just all of the greens, right? I like to think of greens as this, um, as like uh, taking a deep breath of air, like in and 
out every time you are enjoying something green, right? We remember back from, you know, um, middle school, like, biology classes or high school. When did we do biology? <laughs> um, I think it was ninth grade for me, yeah. Ninth grade, yeah. Um, that, you know, chlorophyll um, is quite literally stored oxygen in the fibers of plants. Right, So the more that you can think of consuming as many dark leafy greens as possible, the more that you are you know, having this influx of oxygen straight into the bloodstream. Right? And in the original Mediterranean diet, as it was studied by um, you know, Americans um, of the, um, the Mediterranean diet and lifestyle, was originally done um, in the 60s um, by a man... Um, Gosh, uh, Ansel Keys, um, and he was a researcher who went to the island of Crete and studied the dietary and lifestyle patterns of um, Cretan men. And they basically, you know, there's so many dark leafy greens in the Cretan diet. And, you know, the Turks used to have this joke that if you, and I hope that I'm, you know, remembering this translation correctly, but if you put Cretans and cows in the same pasture, um, they will fight over the grass and the Cretans will win. Like that's how many, like that's how much like, you know, greens and all of their um, diversity um, are such a huge component of the Mediterranean diet and lifestyle. And they're freshly foraged greens. Like, you know, in Lebanon, it would be like dandelion greens are everywhere and like henbe. And it's like, you know, that's like, I think what really turned me on when I was in Lebanon um, when I first studied or worked there rather um, when I was still doing the peace building work, really falling in love with dandelion greens over there but then you think of things like nutrient-dense sources of plant-based fiber um, you know so for me in my kitchen I try to make myself one whole grain or one bean um, every week um, at the start of the week or whatever and that usually becomes the foundation mixing and matching with whatever dark leafy greens I have around for creating whatever meals right? And the nutrient-dense sources of plant-based fiber, you know, from um, whole grains and from beans, these are the, the good carbohydrates. These are the carbohydrates that provide um, slow-burning, stable energy throughout the day, the low glycemic um, carbohydrates that will keep your blood sugar levels um, stable as opposed to the high glycemic refined carbohydrates from breads and pastas and crackers and what have you that are likely to spike your blood sugar levels and drop you. So recently I did a segment um, with WFAA, um, which is a local um, ABC affiliate in Dallas on the Mediterranean diet as a way of preventing and reversing chronic inflammatory disorders like type 2 diabetes. And I kept driving home the point that it is the dark leafy greens and it is the unrefined nutrient-dense plant-based fiber that comes from whole grains like, you know, farro or cracked wheat um, or brown rice or beans like um, lentils, chickpeas, fava beans, what have you. Um, but it's also all of the healthy fat 
all of the healthy fat that comes from swirls, generous swirls of olive oil that um, is, you know, we know is high in um, monounsaturated fats that are heart healthy and inherently anti-inflammatory. Um, that original Cretan study um, that I mentioned conducted by Ansel Keys back in the 1960s, um, when they studied these dietary patterns, 40% of the calories in that diet came strictly from olive oil. Olive wow. Oil. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's how much, like, nourishing fats are, like, such a life force. And gosh, like, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the 80s where we were raised to be terrified of fat. You know, eating yes. fat makes you fat and so on and so forth. Whereas, like, these healthiest societies in the world, like these blue zones, um, you know, in in Greece and Italy and whatever, they enjoy diets that are so rich in, you know, olive oil, like, you know, greens, dark leafy greens that are, you know, freshly sautéed and swimming in olive oil or, you know, fava beans that have been freshly mashed with garlic and swimming in olive oil. And it's so heart healthy. And, you know, fats like, like olive oil, they provide this basic function of not only creating flavor in our dishes, but they, um, they also create this level of satiety, right? So by the time we are sitting down and enjoying meals in the company of loved ones with healthy swirls of olive oil on top of everything, right, you know, our body is in a place to, our, you know, our gut is in a place to inform the brain like, oh my gosh, this food is so good and I am done. Thank you very much. As opposed to what we grew up with in the 80s, this, you know, fat phobia in which we were, you know, carbo-loading on poor quality carbohydrates that have been stripped of fat and, you know, had sugar thrown in its place and all of it, and we've never felt full, which is why we're now seeing such a confusion in the American populace, this public health crisis of obesity and diabetes, right? Um, so, again, going back to these ancestral ways of eating in which people fucking enjoyed fat. <laughs> people enjoyed healthy amounts of olive oil over, like, everything. And, you know, for the most part, their diet was plant-based, you know, dark leafy greens, um, nutrient-dense fiber from beans and grains. And then, of course, there were indulgences in, um, you know, meat and dairy and fish and seafood, right? But that wasn't the mainstay of the diet. Um, it was mostly plant-based with perhaps seafood, um, you know, like small oily fish like mackerel, which is rich in omega-3 fatty acids and anchovies and what have you, and of course like tuna, things like that, um, that um, probably were enjoyed more like two or three times a week. And something like red meat, um, was enjoyed probably like once every five weeks or so, or even, you know, like two to five weeks. It wasn't this mainstay of the diet that we're so used to thinking of now when we go to a Greek restaurant and everything is like lamb and rice or whatever, right? And that's, yeah. that's mostly, that's American influence, or that's influence of um, of culture in which, as people become more and more affluent and they start moving away from these simple traditions of, you know, um, 
of feeding family peasant food. Like peasant food was like, you know, most of our ancestors survived on, you know, um, really joyful ways of enjoying plant-based foods, you know. And the more that, you know, globalization has um, created such a pressure and glamour around, you know, having all of this meat in our diet and having all of, you know, the lure of Western foods like coming from, you know, chips and soda and whatever. That's when we see in parts of the world like, you know, the Middle East and um, Crete and whatever that younger generations are now really starting to struggle with uh, obesity and diabetes and those types of things because they've, they've gotten away from their ancestral traditions of eating. Mm. I want to interject here and just to add in an Ayurvedic concept because you're talking about fat and I love, I love hearing this and just what you say, it feels so true. I'm like, oh, it's a, like eating those dark leafy greens. It's just, there's something really satisfying in that and eating that kind of like fiber and having the fat is so important. And, and in Ayurveda, it's um, the word that they use for oily is uh, sneha. And what mm-hmm. sneha means is it, it, it means like oily, but it also means the feeling of love. And, like, um, when somebody is all, like, dried out, and that's, like, you, like vata imbalance, that's when we start to feel, like, traumatized, and we start to feel really, like, overwhelmed, we start to feel really sick, and most illnesses are caused by this vata imbalance, so it's, it is really important. Like, the therapy is actually, like, let's put oil on your body, let's eat more oil in your diet, and let's, like, get you, like, loved again, because the vata imbalance is when we feel isolated and alone, and so the way to bring ourselves back mm. in is with this, like delicious fat and so like yeah that's I think about like the fat-free era it's like oh we just again that fear-based diet or we just thought we were like continuing our imbalance in a lot of ways yeah Um, and we live in such a like a vata deranged society everything drives us towards like stress and addiction you know um and I, I yeah gosh what a beautiful concept can you repeat um that word again sneha 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 it's S N E H A Sneha, and they say yeah. like and it was so great being in India because we were just so oily all the time because we would get these oil massages every day and it was just even really hard to like, wash my hair and the oil would still be in there, and so yeah. but it, like I started to look at everyone I was like oh, everyone looked like Sneha everyone looks beautiful and like loved and nourished and like their skin looks glowy and that's the, it's a, not that dried out feeling. Um, well, can you take us through just like how you approach a day of food? I know you do like the, um, the, the cooking of the grains early, but like how would you like throw your lunch together? Because I look at your Instagram and it just it looks so delicious. And I'm wondering, is it like something you spend a lot of time on or is it something that's more fluid in the moment? And like where does the magic yeah. come from? It's a formula. It's a formula. Um, so it's amazing because, you know, I've been, I've been doing this work for such a long time now, and um, I've been working with my friend um, Tom, who, you know, first started out um, as my, uh, you know, dog park friend and then slowly became writing teacher and mentor and now, like, live deliciously co-conspirator. And what's amazing is that, he kind of sat back and watched my process, which for me felt intuitive, but then, you know, helped me create the structure for explaining it to the masses and how I 
put together meals. And so ultimately, we realized that it's a five-step formula that offers creative structure for healthy plant-based eating that is exciting and tapped into this place of joy and intuition. So first, I like to think of, you know, I, for the week, will have like a batch of dark leafy green, or I will have like a batch of um, whole grains or a batch of um, beans that I've made in advance. So right now what I have in my fridge, I have chickpeas and I have farro. And those are like the two kind of like nutrient-dense sources of plant-based fiber that I go between, right? And then I think of every time I go to the grocery store or the farmer's market, I think of buying no more than three dark leafy greens a week, right? Because that way I'm incentivized to go through it. I add small handfuls of whatever dark leafy greens I have on hand and throw them into whatever grain or whatever bean I have made. Um, So usually most of my meals are just those two ingredients, a dark leafy green or a whole grain or bean, right? Um, So like for instance, this morning I had um, farro and collard greens and that was my breakfast. And I, you know, I like to think of sprinkles, squeezes, and swirls as a way of creating um, interesting um, depth and flavor and, um, and, you know, exciting complexity to plant-based eating. So this morning, my swirl was a swirl of pomegranate molasses because I love pomegranate molasses. Um, which is a traditional ingredient that you find in a lot of Eastern Mediterranean cooking. Um, And then my squeeze, uh, squeezes of citrus, I had like, you know, clementines around. So I squeezed clementines over, right? And then my sprinkles, sprinkles of, you know, nuts and seeds and aromatic spices. I think I sprinkled um, a little black like lava salt and a little... um, gosh, what was it? Um, Zatar. Zatar is a traditional Levantine spice blend. And when I say the Levant um, countries of, um, of Lebanon and Jordan, Israel, Palestine, Syria, um, these we would consider Levantine countries of the, the Eastern Mediterranean. There's this like magical, like truly like magical spice blend of thyme and oregano and sumac and roasted sesame that I sprinkle on just about everything, you know? Um, so that was my breakfast this morning. I didn't take a picture of it because I was just, I didn't take a picture of it. Sometimes things are not always meant to be captured, right? <laughs> Sometimes they can just be enjoyed in the moment. <laughs> I so agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I, every once in a while, it is really nice to, to share a meal with the public, but especially, you know, when it's something that's just like a decadent morning moment, you just want to have it. Oh, Dahlia, this is so wonderful. I, I feel the passion that you have for cooking, and I, I really feel that, like, the, the peacefulness that comes from it and just the way that it connects everything together. And I would love for you to share. I'm sure that there are many listeners out there who want to follow your Instagram so they can see all your wonderful sprinkles and swirls. Um, yeah. And then also um, just to hear about what you have going on in the future that people could get in touch with you. Absolutely. So... Um, my Instagram is Hey Dolls. That's how you can find me because Dolls is my nickname. So Hey Dolls, D A H L S. Um, 
And um, you can also connect with me on social media, on Facebook. Um, hook up with the Live Deliciously tribe. It's a closed group, and I intentionally keep it closed because I want it to be this, um, this, this contained safe space where members, and I think we have about 600 members now, um, where members are asking questions and contributing their own meal inspiration content. I'm just kind of a river guide sharing content and you know, my own kind of um, thoughts and musings and what have you, um, you know, meal inspiration. So definitely hook up on the Live Deliciously tribe. That's where I tend to be the most active um, in sharing my content and inspiration. Um, coming up, June 17th, um, I will be partnering with my friend Whitney Patterson, who is also an incredible um, Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga teacher. And we're doing a farm-to-table yoga retreat um, at my friend Colin's farm um, out in Clinton, Maryland. It's the Wyoming, and it's a historic farm um, with, you know, gosh, it's like he, they have like these fields of kale and collards and zucchini and whatever. And, you know, we kind of like, we just tend to, um, I don't know, frolic through the fields and enjoy yoga and meditation and create meals together. So that's happening for the solstice the weekend before um, Saturday, June 17th. And I will have more information on my own website, daliashaban.com and through, you know, Instagram and Facebook. Um, as those details come out. Awesome. Well, I can't remember exactly what we talked about in our first conversation because it was so long ago, but I feel quite sure that this was the conversation that was meant to be shared. So thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really wonderful. And I look forward to sharing this out, and I look forward to eating with you soon. And for everyone who is listening out there, like, I, I think, like, the takeaway that I'm really taking is, like, I'm just going to go eat lunch with, like, a whole bunch of olive oil in it right now and some dark leafy greens. And to, like, think back in your own ancestry of, like, what is it? Like, for me, it's a lot of Polish food. That's my background. And, and to just see if you can bring some of those traditions or just to think about that ancestry and, like, and remember that, like, your kitchen is a very magical place and that you can create that. And it doesn't have to be something where you're just kind of showing up and, like, wondering how to make a meal. But to let it be intuitive, um, follow some of Dahlia's techniques, and to remember that you are allowed to enjoy the food that you eat. So, yeah, bring your joy into it. Bring your intuition into it. Um, and that will translate through the, the food. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gracie. This has been incredible. You're so welcome. Well, thank you to everyone listening out there. And just keep take care of yourself, and we'll connect soon. So bye-bye, everyone. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place. Thank you.